News. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. On that day, the day of judgment, Jesus will tell certain people who said, hey, we did all of this religious activity in your name, and so we ought to be admitted into heaven. Jesus will say to them, depart from me, and the departure from me means depart from my presence into hell. Once again, he's referring to judgment. Judgment is the topic that runs through the end of this sermon. And so these are very serious, very sober warnings, because this is the most critical, folks, the most critical issue of all issues in life. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. The sermon that Pastor Steve just mentioned is the Sermon on the Mount. We are nearing the conclusion of this challenging message by Jesus, and for the next three days we will be considering the wise man and the foolish man. Our text is Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 through 27. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving for more than 27 years. These daily Bible classes of the air are adapted to radio by Verse by Verse Ministries. Have you ever warned someone about a serious danger that was obvious to you, but the one you wanted to help refused to heed your warning? I'm sure we all have. And then when the inevitable happens, it's nearly impossible to refrain from saying, I told you so. Here in the final part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a warning for the human race that will someday lead to the most tragic I told you so moment of all time. Here's Pastor Steve to explain. In the year 1980, Mount St. Helens in the state of Washington began to send out danger signs that she was about to erupt. In March, an earthquake registering 4.1 on the Richter scale occurred near Mount St. Helens. Later that month, there was a minor eruption from the mountain that sounded like a sonic boom, and soon sheriff's deputies ordered all the residents at the base of the mountain to evacuate, just leave the area. But an old man by the name of Harry refused to go. (coughs) Harry was a stubborn man, lived alone with his 16 cats, And when ordered by the authorities to leave, Harry arrogantly said these words, nobody knows more about this mountain than Harry, and it don't dare blow up on him. I'm having a great time living my life alone. I'm king of all I survey. I got plenty of whiskey. I got enough food for 15 years, and I'm sitting high on the hog. But in spite of of Harry's confident words, on Sunday morning, May 18th, 1980, Mount St. Helens exploded, sending rock and ash almost 14 miles high. One writer described the eruption with these words. He wrote, the force of the blast flattened trees, uprooting and smashing them like millions of dominoes spreading out from the crater. Steam, ash, and grass spouted from the incinerated vegetation. Mud flows flooded the rivers and transformed the beautiful mountain lands into a ghastly charred landscape. The mountain's vengeance was 500 times greater than the nuclear bomb which leveled Hiroshima. And whatever happened to Harry? Well, Harry, along with his 16 cats, 15 years' worth of food and plenty of whiskey was buried alive under tons 
of rock and mud. He had refused to take the warning seriously, and then it was too late. Too late. Today, in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, we have come to a passage, actually the final passage in this sermon, that issues forth a very strong warning that also needs to be taken seriously before it's too late. I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, and beginning at verse 24, we are reading our Lord's final words in this Sermon on the Mount. We'll read from verse 24 through verse 27, and then Matthew closes the Sermon on the Mount by giving his inspired comments, and we'll look at that later. But Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24, Jesus said, therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. These, as we said, are Christ's final words of this magnificent sermon on the mount. And these words are specifically directed to those people who sat there that day, sat around the Sea of Galilee, and heard Jesus give this sermon, yet had not acted upon his words. In other words, though they heard the words from the king about the king and about his kingdom, yet they had not acted upon his words by committing themselves to following him as Lord and King. So these were still people who were outside of his kingdom. Now, as we've said before, while most of the Sermon on the Mount serves as instruction for genuine disciples, teaching them how to live as citizens of Christ's kingdom, the Lord turned his sermon at the end, into an evangelistic appeal to unbelievers. So it's basically a sermon for believers until the end, starting at verse 13. He turns it into an evangelistic appeal to unbelievers as he he warns them of the dangerous consequence of not committing themselves to him as their king. And the one dangerous consequence that he's referring to is God's coming judgment. And so we see starting his evangelistic appeal in chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus warned unbelievers in the crowd about this judgment when he spoke about the broad way that leads to destruction. Destruction is just synonymous for judgment. Then in the next few verses, verses 15 through 20, the Lord spoke about the danger that comes with the deceptive false prophets, those teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing, who try to persuade unbelievers to remain on the broad way that leads to destruction. So once again, judgment is mentioned there. And then he implied, in speaking about these false teachers, that judgment awaited the false shepherds. Notice verse 19. This is an implied statement of judgment for false teachers. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, he says, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Being thrown into the fire is the imagery of destruction, of of hell itself. But the Lord goes on, more than implying their judgment, Jesus went on to explicitly state that false teachers and all those who follow their errors would be judged. Beginning in verse 21, we read, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me, he says, on that day, and that day is the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. On that day, the day of judgment, Jesus will tell certain people, who said, hey, we did all of this religious activity in your name, and so we ought to be admitted into heaven. Jesus will say to them, depart from me, and the departure from me means depart from my presence into hell. Once again, he's referring to judgment. Judgment is the topic that runs through the end of this sermon. And so these are very serious, very sober warnings, because this is the most critical, folks, the most critical issue of all issues in life. And that issue is this, making sure that we are truly saved, that we have truly trusted Christ, and that therefore we will not be lost in hell forever. That we have believed on the the Son of God in a way that, that the Lord says we are to believe upon Him. And that's why as we come to the last passage in the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus closes His sermon with still another warning, a final warning once again about judgment. But this warning is presented differently to us than anything else that we've read about in these uh, in this sermon. In this warning, Jesus used a story from the world of construction, the world of, of building, to teach about the danger of being content just to hear his word, but not to apply his word, just to hear his word without obeying his word. Now, in this story, he speaks about two men, One he calls wise and one he calls foolish. The wise man, we're told, built his house upon a rock so that when this storm came, this man's home was able to withstand the force of the storm because it it had a solid, unmovable foundation. On the other hand, the foolish man built his house upon sand. And when the storm hit his house, it fell down because its foundation was unstable and, and shifting. Now, that's the gist of the story. That, anybody can read that on the surface. But what does it mean? What is our Lord illustrating? What was Christ's intended message that goes beneath the story? It's really a parable. And a parable is a, an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. So there's a, there's a meaning here beneath the surface. Well, The point of the story, the purpose of the story is to convey a contrast between two different kinds of individuals, someone who's wise, someone who's foolish. And the thing that determines whether each man is wise or foolish is their response to hearing Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount. First, there's the man who's wise, and he's wise because not only did he hear Christ's words, but he actually acted upon them. He obeyed them. In fact, he built his, his life upon Christ's words. And therefore, Jesus said, this man is safe from the storm of judgment. But the second kind of individual, whom Jesus called a foolish man, he also heard the Sermon on the Mount. He was there that day. But instead of doing what Christ said to do, this man failed to obey the Lord's words. He, didn't, he, he ignored it. He neglected it. And because he foolishly chose to ignore and do nothing about Christ's words, when the storm of judgment came, Jesus said he was swept away. Not just his house, but he was swept away too. Now, if we're going to really understand the meaning of this story as Jesus intended it to be 
understood, then we need to ask ourselves a very basic question. Whom do the wise and foolish builders refer to? Now, we're going to take it a little bit deeper. In other words, specifically, what kind of individuals are represented by these two men? Well, based on the context of this story, the answer is that the wise man is a picture of a true believer. And I think that's obvious. The wise man is a picture of a true believer. But notice this. The foolish man, this is important, is a picture of not just an ordinary unbeliever. It's not a contrast between a a believer and an ordinary unbeliever. But the foolish man is a picture of an unbeliever who thinks he's a believer. He thinks he's a believer. In other words, the foolish man is a non-Christian, but he has allowed himself to be deceived into thinking that he's a true Christian. And the proof that he's not a genuine Christian is that there's absolutely no evidence of obedience in his life, none at all. He has heard Christ's words, but he has chosen to do nothing about Christ's words. Now, the reason I say that these two men are a contrast between a genuine Christian and and one who only thinks he's a Christian but isn't is because the final story is really a continuation of the same point that Jesus began making when he brought up the subject of false prophets. There there are sub-themes that run through this sermon. At the end of the sermon, though, he's talking about judgment on unbelievers. There's a sub-theme of deception, deception. He warned us, first of all, when he spoke about the false prophets, of not being deceived by them. They are deceptive men. They try to, to deceive us. That's why they are, they are called wolves in sheep's clothing. They are disguised as something they're really not. So the Lord warns us about being deceived. Don't be deceived by the message of false teachers. Don't be deceived by their outward appearance. They're not what they look like. Next, he warned us about the danger of being deceived into thinking that we were Christians because of our religious activity. Those folks who will on that day say to him, Lord, we prophesied in your name, in your name we cast out demons, in your name we did many miracles. They were deceived into thinking that their religious activity made sure that they were Christians, and that's why the Lord should Let them enter into heaven. And now the Lord gives us his third and his final warning by telling us to beware of being deceived into thinking that we're Christians because of our familiarity with his teaching. Just because we're familiar, just because we know it, just because we know some some truths in the Bible. Now that's what makes this final warning by Jesus so relevant, so pertinent, so applicable to people like us. People who have a knowledge and an understanding of the teachings of Jesus People have heard many messages, not only on the Sermon on the Mount, but, but many, many sermons. People who have perhaps been raised in churches. People who, are, who have, have gone through youth group. Maybe youth who are still in youth group. Uh, people who have heard the word, heard the word, heard the word. Church members. You see, this is a warning directed by Jesus, not at those who are outwardly antagonistic to the gospel. This is not a warning to atheists, agnostics, people who are ignorant of Scripture. Christ's warning is specifically in this passage for those individuals who have a great deal of familiarity with his words. They know the Bible. They may know the Bible quite well. They are familiar with Scripture, and because of this familiarity, they feel quite confident, quite secure that they are Christians, but it's only a false security. Because though they have heard Bible teaching, Jesus said they have never applied the Bible 
to their lives. And therefore, they are, they are on very shaky ground, ground that will not stand up to the storm of God's judgment. And that is precisely the reason why Jesus told this parable about these two men. He wanted those who have never acted upon Christ's words, but may be very familiar with them, to submit to his authority before it's too late, before judgment comes and they are taken away in the storm. And so these final words from our Lord are extremely important for all of us because as people who, as I said, who attend the church where the Bible is taught, we need to make sure that we have not allowed ourselves to be lulled into a false confidence about our relationship with Christ, which means, folks, that we need to make certain that we have not mistaken mere head knowledge of Christ's words with a heart commitment to his words. You know, there are many people who are raised, not not just in churches, but especially in churches in the South where there's a certain Bible culture. And yet it never, the Bible never impacts their life. They go to church, they sing songs, but they think nothing about living an immoral life, nothing about cursing, nothing about living in any way contrary to Scripture. And yet they may, they may be very passionate when they come to, to church. We have to be very careful we're not like that. We have to be very careful that we have heard the Word and then applied the Word to our lives. This is the difference between eternal life and, and eternal death, between heaven and hell. And it isn't that what you do in applying the word makes you a Christian. It's that you first have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, believing that he died for your sins. And then there's an inner transformation in your heart. And then you begin as evidence of that inner transformation to begin to obey him. That's what Jesus is talking about. See, there are many church members who are under the illusion that they really know Christ, when in reality, they just have some knowledge about what he taught. Listen to what Lloyd-Jones wrote about how this final message of, of Jesus is so pertinent to people like us. He wrote, and I quote, clearly the words are addressed to those who, who are professing Christians. They are not addressed to people who have no interest whatsoever in the kingdom. They are addressed to people who have been listening and who like listening to teaching concerning the kingdom. These words are obviously addressed to members of churches, to those who make the claim of being Christian, who profess discipleship, and who are seeking the benefits and, and blessings of salvation. Everything about the picture emphasizes that and is meant to show us the difference between the false and the true profession of Christianity, between the Christian and the seeming Christian, between the man who's really born again and is a child of God and the man who thinks that he is, end of quote. And so, Understand this, the primary purpose of Christ's parable about a wise man and a foolish man is to show us the basic yet very critical difference between a believer and one who merely thinks that he's a believer. So if, if throughout this study you come to a, an awareness, a realization that, you know what, I'm, I'm not a believer. I thought I was. Maybe my parents think I am, maybe my children think I am, maybe my friends think I am, but I've never really, really trusted Christ, nor have I ever really applied the Bible to my life. And you know what? Before it's too late, trust Christ. Trust Christ before it's too late. Now, as we go through this story, we're going to notice that there are these two individuals have a number of similarities Yet there is a distinct difference between the two men. And this distinct difference is seen in two specific areas of their lives. 
The first area that there's a difference in is the foundation of their houses. They had two different foundations. The second area in which they are different is the ability of their houses to withstand the storm. So let's begin by looking at the first difference in their lives. The foundation of their houses is different. And we'll look at verse 24, then we'll skip verse 25 and look at verse 26. And this is just how it kind of plays out. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, in this parable, Jesus, as we said, highlights two men, two men who are very different. One is called wise. The other is called foolish. In fact, our English word moron comes from this Greek word that is translated foolish. You have a wise man, you have a foolish man. But though both of these men, each of these men, I should say, are very different, they do have some things in common. For example, they both were in the audience that day. Both were Jewish men in the audience that day, sitting near the Sea of Galilee as Jesus was on a hill, and they both listened to Christ's sermon. We know that this is what Jesus is talking about because when he said, everyone who hears these words of mine, these words that he's referring to is the, the sermon. He was referring to his words in the Sermon on the Mount. And after hearing his words, both men got up and proceeded to build a house. So there's something in common there. They both heard his word. They both got up after the sermon and at some point built a house. And the houses that they built would appear to be in the same general vicinity and, and location in Israel because later both houses were subject to the same storm that hit the area. Now, it's important to understand that in this parable, Jesus uses the imagery of a building, uh, of building a house only as a metaphor. It's not to be taken literally. It's just a figure of speech. He's not really referring to a physical, literal house. The Lord's not giving a lecture here on how to construct a new home in the Galilee area. Although, from a human standpoint, Jesus could have spoken with credibility on this subject because remember, he was a carpenter and it is very likely that he was involved in building some homes in the Galilee area of Israel. But he's just using the imagery of a house, of building a house, as a figure of speech to watch this, to represent a man's life. That's what it's about. In other words, he's talking about what we build our lives upon. Not a literal house, but what do we build our lives upon? And so one man in the story, the wise man, heard the Sermon on the Mount and immediately began to build his life upon Christ's words. And the other man, the foolish one, also heard the sermon, but he chose to ignore it. He chose to neglect it, and so he built his life upon something else. We will look more closely at these two men in our next Verse by Verse. Perhaps you are new to Verse by Verse, and you'd like to catch up with us in this series. Much of what we are considering now is built on previous lessons. If so, we invite you to visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online to today's class or download it for later. And if you click on the archives link, you will find dozens of previous lessons in MP3 format. The web address once more is versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry supported by listeners like you. 
If you would like to help keep these programs on the air, we have information for you on the website that I just mentioned. Or you can call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll call you back during weekday office hours. If you would like to order a CD or a cassette with the entire message that today's class began, you can do so at that same phone number. Our number again is 727-441-1714. I recently saw a Mythbusters program in which Adam and Jamie tested the adage that you cannot polish manure. They found out that if you choose the right kind of manure, you can actually make it nearly as shiny as chrome. But in spite of the pretty reflections, it is just a stinky, unsanitary ball of animal waste. In the same way, no matter how we polish our lives with religious activities and knowledge, unless God transforms us, we are as lost as ever. We may be shiny on the outside, but God knows what is on the inside. I hope you'll join us for the next verse-by-verse as Pastor Steve shows us from God's Word the difference between external righteousness and genuine righteousness. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by Verse. W262CP 